Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. We were trying to record a single episode that was going to be 15 minutes long, and it just ended up being an hour. So I think we're going to split it into two parts, um, and those two parts are going to be about, um, the first one's going to be about like how this story of how I just started this new business. The second one's going to be about like some business, I guess, principles you'd call them. And then we wanted to throw in, I guess, kind of like a third part in addition to what we were just talking about with some practical tips, because we realized like we didn't have a ton of practical advice through that. There was a couple things, um, but we want to, we want to bring you guys some practical advice like we always like to do. And so today um, in this episode, we're going to be sharing uh, just kind of like some general tips for how to run a small business I'm not exactly sure what we're going to title the episode, but something along those lines. Um, and so, Terry, I guess if you just want to take it away, first tip, let's get right into it. So there's not much of a format for this episode, but we're just kind of like going to bounce ideas back and forth and little, we're going to try to make this as actionable as possible. So none of this is supposed to be taken out of context. Um, it's just simple tools, simple ideas that you can use to inspire yourself to run your business better. Um, for example, tool that comes off the top of my head is being really useful for small businesses um, who often are strapped for cash and want to keep expenses low is a tool called wave financial something along those lines i think it's let me look it up right now it's called like wave i don't know i'm googling it right now it's like wave dot i wait i don't want to say the wrong waveapps.com there's the url waveapps.com it is basically like quickbooks um if any of you have ever heard of it it's like quickbooks but free um, I've used it before just a little bit, not extensively, and it's super nice, super clean software, uh, a way for you to track your profits, uh, your revenues, your expenses, uh, create, you know, uh, profit statements. I'm forgetting the actual terminology. How would you actually call it? Uh, just track cash flows for your business. Yeah. Great tool. Highly recommend it. Wave as in W-A-V-E or W-A-I-V. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wave as in like the wave in the ocean. Okay. Um, waveapps.com. Cool. Sounds like a good tip. And I'm just going to bounce off of that real quick and say like, don't underestimate um, the importance of accounting in general, even for a small business. Um, you could look at like what I did with my little airport shuttle this last weekend. Um, and we had tons of transactions because everybody like individually paid either cash, Venmo, PayPal, whatever. Um, very important to keep track of that, to keep receipts, um, and then like throw it together in a spreadsheet. Uh, this is going to help you in several areas. Um, you might be like thinking only taxes, which is like important and necessary. However, um, it would be impossible for me to really evaluate this last weekend to see if it was a success or not and to see what needed to be changed in, in terms of like our pricing and different costs and stuff, unless I kept all that information. Because now I'm going to turn around and say, okay, here was kind of like our data from our first trial run. Here's what we need to do. We need to increase our prices. We need to cut this expense, um, this, this, and that. That's kind of what is going to help you continue to develop the business. So I know not everyone is a financial, uh, financially savvy person. I personally am. Um, but I would encourage you, if you're not, like you just got to suck it up and do it. Like it's part of business. Like you need to be really diligent with your financials. Um, you don't need to be an expert in it. I mean, there's softwares to help. But just like really be diligent and thorough with everything um, when it comes to keeping track of the financials for your business. I second that as someone who does not or has not and at times struggles to do that. Um, with one of my small businesses, a raw milk delivery service, 
Um, a lot of my customers half deal in Venmo, half deal in cash. And it's, it's a headache if it's a headache at times trying to keep the two straight and who pays what and all that. It's, it's a whole story of its own, but I can, you know, uh, definitely vouch for what Jacob's saying in that if you don't keep track of it, it can get very hectic and very confusing. Um, and there's a lot of disadvantages. Like you honestly can't grow your business very well, obviously, Mm -hmm. if you don't know what it's making and how and receipts and just be organized and keep track of those financials for sure. You want to talk about your other story with your, with your Uh, business about the communication. So my mom recently told me, um, that something she learned from a mentor is that you, you cannot over communicate in a business. And I still don't entirely grasp what that all means, but it kind of clarified itself in some sense to me. Uh, this last week when I was checking on the fridge um, and for short context, the way this business works is customers text me on like a Monday or something. Uh, I pick up the milk Tuesday, drop it off that night, and then they can come pick it up Tuesday night or Wednesday whenever it's available. And that's all fine and dandy. It's a raw milk delivery service. Raw milk isn't very well known or popular. It's not really sold in very many stores. Um, it depends on the state. It's it's pretty great. Um, in my in this case though, um, I picked up some milk or an order for a customer. Um, picked up an order for a customer, dropped it off in the fridge, and I thought I told them that it was ready. Uh, and I I looked at my text and was like, you know, you're. I'm going to paraphrase your, your order is ready. Your quarter cream or your gallon of milk, whatever it is. Um, and then like a week goes by and I check on the fridge and I, the order was still there. And I was like, that's weird. Why did this person not pick up? So I took the, the order home and tried to use it for myself and my family because we didn't want it to go bad. And then I texted him a day or two later and was like, Hey, were you not able to make it out? Uh, to the fridge this week. And that was kind of tricky for me because I didn't want to be confrontational and say like, Hey, you know, shame on you. You didn't pick up, um, which is honestly quite silly. And she didn't mind at all. Um, but it, it was a little bit like, oh, now I actually got to text her. And from my mind, it was like being confrontational, but in reality it wasn't. So that's important to, to note. Um, but I messaged them and they replied basically, yeah, like the reason I didn't pick up was because I never got the message that the order was ready. And I was like, what? How? Now, I didn't say this out loud, but like or to her, but like, I was thinking to myself, like, that's impossible because my message says right here, your order is ready. And basically she was texted back later, like, hey, I'll come pick it up this morning. No worries. Um, I was like, oh, well, I already took it back home and it's already been used. And I apologize. And so she was like, oh, well, I guess we'll have to reorder next week. And for more context, uh, she hadn't ordered for like two weeks now because the previous week I was short. And so she didn't have anything to pick up that week. And then this week when she does have something, uh, she didn't pick it up. And I thought it was just odd. And then it turns out it was because there was lack of communication when I thought it was explicitly clear. That's a whole fiasco. But basically it boils down to you cannot over communicate. And Jacob showed that excellently in his story about kind of one of the first issues he was having in his business with the customer of his like sleeping in and not showing up on time and he just kept being consistent with them and he's consistent with all his other customers in communications and making sure they're going to be where they said they would be so communication is huge and as a small business owner that's probably one of the best skills you're going to learn um 
in, in any industry because it's just, it's communication. It's very core as a business with the vendor, the business, and the person. And the business partners, which is the next point oh. we're going to talk about. Um, I'll, I'll kick us off here, um, but then Terry, you bring us home. That is um, a whole nother can of worms. Communication <laughs> with business partners like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll start out with, with what you were just kind of telling me before this call and you could take it where you want. Um, but it's funny that you brought this up because I had the exact same experience. Um, in the past, when I used to run like this custom t-shirt business, I was running this with my best friend, which may or may not have been a mistake. There's definitely some, some tension at times, but it was also like such a fun time. So I think there's pros and cons to running a business with friends. However, um, the main issue we made was that it was a co-owned business, 50% split um, for each person, which made it incredibly difficult at times because both me and him were very, very stubborn and also um, very, very different in our ways of thinking, just different strengths, different weaknesses. So there was several times where we like just couldn't agree on stuff. Uh, like it would be the smallest things. And like the point you kind of brought up and the point that I had thought of myself as well, it's like, when you're starting a business, you should never do like a 50, 50 or like any sort of like equal split in ownership, like whether it be 33, 33, 33, 25, 25, 25, 25, 50, 50, whatever it is, just anytime there's like that equal share in ownership, it's just not exactly a good recipe um, for several reasons. One is for like decision-making like that Two, if there was ever um, an event where like one person had to, I don't know, if something came up and like one person needed to be more on the line than the other, you should kind of have that figured out. And then also I feel like it's very rare that when it's a 50-50 partnership that both partners do 50% of the work. Like I feel mm. like it's just destined to happen that one person does more than the other. Uh, and so I think the point about communication is is key here as well. Um, for this airport shuttle business, when I told the story of like how my business partner came in, um, we went and got lunch. Like I talked to him several times, just trying to like learn more about him. And, and then we talked about the business before I even like extended the offer of uh, being a business partner. Um, but when I did make that offer, I told him very clearly, I was like, okay, so I've learned from my last businesses um, that I can't do an equal split of 50-50. Like I need to retain majority ownership for those reasons I just mentioned. Um, so I was, and I was like, since this was like my idea, I was when I came up with it. Like I'm, I still want to like maintain that, that founder, that CEO, that owner role. Um, and so I was like, like, I'm going to stay as the CEO and I'm going to keep over 50%. Um, and like, like bring you on as like a, a, a COO, uh, off, operating officer. Um, and so we ended up deciding on like a 60, 40 split, um, which I think is, is pretty fair considering the amount of work we both put in. And I think that's just helped us so far. It's like, it's very clear, like who's in charge for one, I guess that's the other thing, be very clear about who's responsible for what, like literally write down the responsibilities that people have. And also it, it helps if you have different strengths. Like I was talking about with my friend, we had different strengths, but also the same strengths. Like we, we both wanted to do the same things, um, which made it tricky when we both also didn't want to do the same things. Whereas with my my new business partner for this business, um, we have completely different interests. He's interested in marketing and art. And I'm like, heck no, I'll stick with like <laughs> finance and like technical, like 
LLCs and like stuff like, like that's my cup of tea, not, you know, that stuff. So anyways, um, just be open about that communication with business partners. If you're going to, if you're going to get a business partner, structure it um, wisely, just to, to put it lightly. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Terry. Basically one of my mentors uh, told me is that you should never, if you're use never lightly, and we're using this in the context of a small business, not like a hundred million dollar corporation, or if you're going to take this business and to be like a career and it's, it can get very messy quick and very nuanced, but um, generally as a small business owner, you should never relinquish more than 51% control of your business. Cause you want to, you want to maintain ownership of this business and you want someone to be basically in charge. You're not going to treat it like a dictatorship. You're just going to want someone to be in charge. Um, that's not even a good wording for it per se. It's just, it simplifies so many things. So just don't relinquish. It's, it's all the reasons Jacob already mentioned. Um, don't relinquish more than 51% of control. One of the points I'm going to mention is for any important business decision, it's particularly partnerships and deals and agreements between business partners and different people, put it in writing. Very critical. Put it in writing because there's a million different, first off, it helps people get explicitly clear about what they meant and what they think is happening because it's very easy to think one thing verbally when you're having a conversation with someone and then to see it in writing and be like, wait, that's not at all what I meant. Here's what I meant. And to, it is far better to work out those differences then and now on a piece of paper than it is six months later down the road when having a confrontation in the business is blowing up on the inside because two core founders are fighting and they're completely at odds because neither of them have a say uh, over the other in the business because they're 50-50 split and there was nothing written down six months ago when they made these decisions and these agreements. And so now they can't agree on who said what. So kind of piggybacking on the, make sure you maintain proper ownership and slice those pieces of the pie up properly is to also put everything down in writing, whether it's just a Google Drive a folder with some Google Docs in there for each core decision, uh, or just a notepad with some pieces of paper and a pen. Doesn't matter. Just make sure it's in writing, particularly when you're dealing with business partners or other important decisions like that. Speaking of putting things in writing, and guys, we're not planning this. This is just these this these uh, natural transitions are yeah. uh, working out quite right, quite nicely. Um, but speaking of putting things in writing, write a business plan. Um, I think it's very easy for an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, not necessarily me. I feel like I've always kind of liked the idea of putting together a business plan. I competed in that event in FBLA in high school, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs just hate the idea of putting together like a formal business plan. Um, and it's up to you, like how formal you want to make it. However, I think it's very important to take the ideas, um, that you're thinking in your head for this business and actually like structure it together in a business plan to see, um, how it would work, uh, one of my mentors talks a lot about like poke holes in your business plan. Um, and that means like, like in the business idea itself, but like also in the business plan itself, like poke holes and like, see what you're missing um, and what you need to add to it to make it make sense. But I just think that ties in nicely, like with what you're saying, write down any important business decisions, but also like write down what the idea is um, in a somewhat structured business plan. I think that's going to go, uh, kind of a long way in just helping you really develop the idea. Also, if you ever do want to bring on business partners, investors, um, or just need any clarification yourself, you have a document um, that is plenty long that you could turn to to really show anybody, including yourself, what it is that you're trying to accomplish 
Um, and so I just know like a business plan is kind of like a, a guidebook or like a Bible, if you will, of like, a, of what an entrepreneur is trying to do with their business. I completely agree. Um, piggy, well, I guess it's not quite piggybacking off that, but segueing into um, another tip of mine would be to read these two books. And one of them, full, full transparency, I actually haven't quite finished myself. Uh, my mom has lended it to me. She's read it and kind of given me the whole summary of it. Um, and I'm familiar more or less with several of the concepts in the book, but I need to read it myself. But two books I can highly recommend. Basically, they have both of key concepts that are, I think, critical for small businesses um, or just businesses in general. One's called Good to Great. This one's a little bit of a slower read. Um, it's basically a giant survey. Um, maybe that's not the right word for it. There's, there's, there's a better word for it. It's not coming to mind. Case right study. Case study. That's what it is. Um, it's basically a giant case study on what makes a, a business great and how businesses went from just mediocre, average, and good to great. And what and what the differences are between like quote unquote fake great companies that last like 10, 15 years and are like uh, in the spotlight, but then end up failing uh, 20 years down the road uh, between or the differences compared to a great company that lasts like a hundred years or 50 years or just like generations upon generations and what the differences are. And this basically is a, at its core, a book about leadership and about the qualities and the different important strategies and lessons a leader should know and learn in order to be effective. Um, and as an entrepreneur, it's generally someone who's in a leadership role. I think this is a very important book to read and to digest and understand. Um, one of the few books I've actually like devoured, took notes on, uploaded to Notion, highlighted, and just overall loved. I've highly recommended. Um, so that's Good to Great by Jim Collins. The second book is called Rocket Fuel. I'm probably going to say his name wrong. By Gino Wickman. G-I-N-O. Um, Rocket Fuel by Wickman. And this is a book basically... I very briefly mentioned in a previous episode. Um, it's a book about two very general personalities in the business world, one called a visionary, one called an integrator. And these are two of the most popular personalities you'll see come up in the in your interactions in the business world with business partners and employees. And I think it's also one of the most critical to understand for scaling, um, for growing this business for leveraging your time and for divvying up the workload properly. I guess that's my main point here is if you're on the topic of getting a business partner um, and dividing ownership, you should also know what kind of work each person's going to be doing. And you need to know what the general personality is. Are they more of a visionary themselves or are they more of an integrator? I'm not going to get into the whole description of what those two terms mean. I just recommend reading the book and it's, it's pretty short, um, great read really actionable. My mom absolutely loved it and highly recommended it. Cool. Last point that I had written down um, is establishing some sort of formal legal structure. Another thing that entrepreneurs hate the idea of, um, but actually creating the LLC, um, if you're going to, I mean, that's what I recommend. Uh, but I guess, depending on your situation, maybe you go with a different legal business structure. Uh, I know Terry and I have both done LLCs before. I mean, what would you say, Terry? Like it's, it sounds hard, but it's easier than it sounds. Would you yeah. say that? Okay. No, yeah, it's, 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 I would honestly rate it as the same difficulty as opening like a brokerage uh, account. 
like when back in 2017 when i had to open a brokerage account with td ameritrade um it was a minor like a minor roth ira custodial roth ira Mm -hmm. um this was like before i really had major internet access and like was very fluent in technology i was like Mm -hmm. 13 um yeah we did it mostly on paper and like i think no, not faxed. What's a what's a better word for it? like just copied it, scanned, uh, yeah, scanned it. That's there you go. Jacob's like my pocket dictionary, uh, dictionary <laughs> right now. Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, we just like scanned it in. It was it was kind of a hassle. That's not a great way to describe the LLC process, but like it's it's basically like the same process you would go through for setting up a bank account or something or a brokerage account. Yeah, we'll put it this way: it's not fun, and but it's easy. Okay, yes. like yeah, no, it's, no it's, single it's, step is hard. It's not as hard as you think it is. That's, that's I guess uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. You, um, you know, you can open a bank account. You can definitely open an LLC. Exactly. So I'm just throwing that in there um, because it's a step that entrepreneurs avoid. However, it's very important. Um, it was something that kind of ran into this weekend when we were discussing potential liabilities with an airport shuttle. Um, if you guys haven't thought about this already, uh, a potential liability for me this last weekend could have been like, I'm driving my car with people in it. I get in a car accident, somebody dies or gets seriously injured. And now there's a $250,000 medical bill. Um, there was no LLC. There was nothing protecting me. That would have been completely on me. Um, most likely my entire net worth would be wiped away. I would declare bankruptcy and start an over. Individual. This is a key yeah. distinction. Yeah. I guess I should explain that. Um, an LLC, it separates uh, the business liability from your personal liability. Um, it just makes like two separate entities in, in like the eyes of the law. So if anything were to happen to your business, it can't extend beyond your business. It can't go to you. So like if you owed, like I'm saying, $250,000 to a hospital, um, they can't come take your personal car. They can't come take your personal house. They can't come to your personal bank accounts. It just separates the two. Um, so it's very important. Um, we jumped way too quickly into this and didn't even bother to set that up. It was risky. Thankfully, nothing happened this time. However, um, it's kind of like driving without auto insurance. That's not even legal, but like, it's kind of like the same idea, like by you doing something without like the proper protection, it's just incredibly risky. And it's only a matter of time until that, I guess, pays off in a bad way. Like until you, until you reap the consequences of that bad decision. This is something I've heard on speaking of LLCs, I've heard of multiple landlords, I guess I know. Um, it's, it's a very popular strategy to set up. Some people go as extreme as setting up an LLC for every single property they own, uh, but most kind of just set up multiple different like LLCs and just have different groups of properties like grouped up under each LLC. But basically the idea is their properties are under LLCs because if someone slips and falls on the property or someone breaks their leg in the property or whatever. Um, if you don't have that in place, I'm not a law person, but I would imagine they could, there's a chance they could sue you personally mm-hmm. and take your house. Um, but if it's under an LLC, then there's something they can do. Like they just sue the LLC, but it's just the LLC that owns the one property. It's, it's like, it basically just, it segments the damage. Like it controls the damage. Damage control. Done. Damage control. The, that could be done to your uh, business. Um, so yeah, it's LLCs are huge, um, very useful, very helpful. The only two things you have to keep in mind is for some states, there's a fee in Kentucky. It's like a yearly $15 fee, uh, like annual filing fee. Um, it's like 40 bucks to initially open, 
um, in Ohio, I just recently learned it's like 95 or $99 to open LLC, but there's no fees afterwards mm. under $100,000 or something or under, yeah, like six figures. Um, past a certain point in revenue, the business pays like small 1% tax on it's, it's, it's a little complicated, but it's different. So there's not really, if you're a small business, there's not really any fees past the initial filing one. It's different for each state. Um, but besides that small fee that you might occasionally have completely affordable, um, there is like an annual filing thing you just need to do. It's not very hard. Um, yeah, all in all two thumbs up, highly recommend it. Yeah. It's, um, I feel like in most states, it's like around 50 bucks. Like I know Colorado's 50 bucks, Arizona's 50 bucks. Um, and there's, yeah, like a small fee to redeem it every year or renew it, I guess. Um, I know there, I think there's some states where it's completely free. You might be wrong on that. I don't know. Uh, and then there's also some states where it's crazy expensive, like 400 bucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, also something to research if you're interested in the subject. A lot of businesses choose to open their LLCs in Delaware. Um, long story short, it doesn't really matter where you open your LLC. It's generally recommended that you do it in the place of like business. where you conduct business. Um, however, you can really do it anywhere, especially if you're like an online business or if you kind of do services outside of like, like if you're not confined to a specific location, you could do it anywhere basically. Um, and the reason why they picked Delaware is because Delaware has very friendly business owner laws. Like they favor the business owner over the customer. Um, I don't know the exact details of that. That's something you could research if you're interested in. Um, but just know like each state has different fees, different renewal fees, and then different like benefits as well. Um, so definitely something you could research if, if you're really getting into it. Um, but rule of thumb, especially for small business owners, if it's your first time, just open one in your state, get used to that process. Um, and then you can figure out that more advanced stuff later. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I have to add for this episode. Terry, you want to add anything else before I wrap it up? Nope. Besides, I also heard on the same idea of the LLCs. I also heard of some people opening them up in Wisconsin for privacy. Um, there's different reasons you would open an LLC. Some people might do it to manage like an investment fund or, you know, different, different things. Um, but some people open them up in Wisconsin, even if they don't live there specifically because of Wisconsin has some laws that like favor privacy. If you don't want to be identified as the owner of a particular asset or business or pool of assets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that was interesting. Sounds like something you guys are doing with your crypto fund there. What? <laughs> Anyways, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up here. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the kind of this, like this little mini, mini series on just all things business. We started with the story, um, got into some principles and then finished here with a couple of practical tips. So hope you guys um, found that interesting. If you did, let us know if you have anything you'd like us to cover in the future. Let us know um, any questions, anything. We just would love to hear from you guys. You could uh, email us at teenfinancialfreedom at gmail.com. Um, Terry's mentioned our Discord server before. Just in general, if you go to our website, teenfinancialfreedom.com, go to the resources tab, there's everything you need to know there. Email, Discord, social media, um, literally everything is there. So if you just want anything or want to hear any of our recommendations or anything like that, hit us up there. Um, other than that, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you have a great rest of your day and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. 
We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.